0: as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you.
1: So this morning I wanna bring you uh, a word from the book of 1 Samuel. We're in our relationship series and uh, this is a story that that I really felt God give me the green light to speak on. Uh, And if I'm honest, This is always a story I've wanted to preach, but I didn't feel like I had the depth of of revelation on it to really bring out what was within it. How many people have loved reading the Bible in a year? Like, you, you, you cannot exhaust the inexhaustible Word of God. You can read the same story, like, 25 different times and get something different every time. And so this is what happened to me in this particular story. And because I don't want to bore you by reading reams of Scripture, I want to set the scene for this message. And I I rewrote this chapter of the Bible in my own words. It's going to make the message version look like, you know, it descended from heaven in a holy cloud. Just be prepared. (laughs) But what I want to do is I want, I want you to engage with the story. I, I want you to feel like you're there. I want to introduce you to this story because God has something he wants to say to us through it. You ready? Yeah. All right, <clears throat> here we go. <laughs> we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 25. It centers around three main characters. David the ruddy and good-looking giant slayer, anointed future king of Israel who was currently being hunted by Saul. Nabal, a rich man who was harsh and evil in his doings. Everybody go, ooh. A mocker, a cynic, the kind of person who delighted to tell you if you'd put on weight. The kind of person that nobody invited to a party because they wanted to, but because they had to. And thirdly, the star of this story, Nabal's wife, Abigail. Abigail was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. She sounds like a cherished woman before her time. (laughs) Abigail was the friend we all want and we should all want to be. Beautiful, kind, wise, cool-headed, and trustworthy. The kind of woman who didn't just talk about how much she hated drama, a woman who actually hated drama. The story begins after David has just attended the prophet Samuel's funeral. He's grieving, he's on the run, he's being hunted by Saul, and he's listening to emo songs by R.E.M. on repeat. Because everybody hurts sometimes. It was a low point. David comes across a group of shepherds belonging to the evil Nabal. I know, he says to himself. My men and I will guard Nabal's workers so they're able to watch their sheep and not have to worry about the wolves from the IRS turning up for a random audit. (laughs) David and his men became their security guards. They got matching arm tattoos, (laughs) wraparound shades, tight shirts with words like beast mode commando and emerge men on them. No one, and I mean no one, messed with Nabal's shepherds while David and his men were on duty. When everyone went home and it was harvest time, David sent 10 of his men with a message for Nabal. Peace and prosperity to your household. Peace be to you. Peace to your house and peace to all you have. That's a lot of peace. Your shepherds were with us and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while that we were in Carmel. Ask your men, and they will tell you. Therefore, please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son David. The evil Nabal responded, Who even are you, bro? Who is this David? And who is this son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays, each one of them breaking away from their master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who I don't even know? There's a lot of me's and eyes in there. Yeah. David's men immediately clapped back, Oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> and then they raced back to tell David all that Nabal had done. They found David sitting at a table waiting, knife and fork in hand, anticipating the arrival of what should have been the reward for his labors. The men tell him everything, every despicable and dishonorable detail. David turns red. His blood pressure rises. He's not just going to take Nabal's life for this, but the life of every male in his household. The future was looking very female for Nabal's family line. David gave his men one simple command, strap on your swords. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Abigail, the beautiful and intelligent wife of Nabal, is in the kitchen reminding herself of why it's wrong to poison your husband. (laughs) And then all of a sudden, bam, one of the servants bursts in. His eyes are wide. His voice urgent as he shares the shocking details of her husband's dishonourable behaviour. Abigail knew who David was. The truth is, they all did. David was famous and not insta-famous, actually famous. (laughs) Famous for the amount of people, including giants, that he had slain. The servant tells Abigail how good David had been to them and how triggered David had now become because of Nabal's insult. Abigail springs into action. She quickly grabs bread, and not the gluten-free stuff that had been sitting on the shelf for two weeks that people only pretend to like. (laughs) The real bread, the man bread, made with yeast and other delicious things. She grabs some wine, and not the two-buck chuck, the good stuff, the stuff you can only buy from the locked cabinet at Vons. She grabs not one, not two, but five sheep. These were eMERGE men after all, and they needed to keep up their carnivorous image. (laughs) And finally, because she knows all men have a sweet tooth, she grabs some chocolate. And then she changes her mind and puts it back because she remembers she's married to Nabal, and chocolate was the only joy she had left in her life. (laughs) So instead, she grabs raisins and figs. They would have to do. She packs the donkey, she puts on her Nike Air Force 1s, and she makes haste to right this egregious wrong. She rides down the hill, and all of a sudden, she is face to face with David and 400 hangry Emerge men. She takes a breath. (sighs) This is my moment. Her mother had always told her that the way to a man's heart was through his stomach, and she was about to find out if this was a lie, too. (laughs) David looks up. What's that in the distance? A beautiful woman and donkeys? <laughs> and donkeys carrying what look like a portable version of the Golden Corral Buffet? <laughs> Before David has a chance to process, Abigail jumps off her donkey and fell, falls at his feet. She begins to offer the most excellent and heartfelt apology. And the best part, there were no buts. Yeah. David is rocked. This is the first time he has ever heard an apology from a woman without butts. <laughs> he was angry, but now he's captivated and he starts to sing, I wish that I had Nabal's girl. Do, oh. do, 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 do. Where can I find a woman like that? <laughs> his anger has dissipated. He was going to kill Nabal and every male in his house, but Abigail has calmed him down. She has de-escalated the situation. No blood would be shed today. He sends her home in peace. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, Nabal had no idea that his wife had just saved his assets. (laughs) He and his men were celebrating the harvest. Beer glasses are clanking. Sweaty men with missing teeth are laughing and being gross. And Nabal, full of pride and beer, starts to sing, bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Ironically, he had no idea that this song choice was an eerie prophecy of his future. He did not know that even though Abigail, his wife, had stayed David's hand, that God was now indeed coming for him. Seeing that he was drunk, Abigail decides to wait till morning to tell him what she has done. She wants him to hear the truth when he is nice and sober. The next day, when the sun rose, Abigail walked into Nabal's bedroom and ripped open the curtains. Nabal hissed like a gremlin, as the sunlight poured in. But the pain of the physical light was nothing compared to the pain of the light of truth that burned into his soul as she recounted every detail of what she had done the day before. Nabal is suddenly silent. His heart had become like a stone. Nabal's life hung in the balance for 10 days, and then suddenly, he flatlined. Would you like us to revive him? The nurses asked Abigail. (laughs) No, that's okay. (laughs) He would have wanted it that way, she said, without making eye contact. (laughs) The funeral was short and poorly attended. The only people that came were his staff and a few townsfolk that thought they were coming for the harvest party but got the date wrong. Nabal died as he had lived, foolish, hard-hearted, and alone. Because the gossip train amongst God's people was as efficient then as it is now, David quickly got the news that the beautiful and intelligent peacemaker Abigail was now suddenly single. In what by today's standards would be considered one of the worst proposals of all time, David sent some of his friends to ask her if she would marry him. And then once again, Abigail rises quickly, but this time not to stay David's hand, but to take his hand in marriage. And they lived happily ever after. Well, as much as you can when your husband has several wives. (laughs) And scene. (laughs) Now you're never going to forget that story. Okay, so why, why, why am I preaching this story? Why did I turn myself inside out to become a screen play, play writer? Because the spirit of Abigail is what the Lord is looking for in our time, right here and right now. It's, it's not lost on me that in the midst of a time that represented great evil, Nabal, great dishonor, and great emotion, David, weary from battle, weary from running, mourning Saul, he plops a woman. Now, how, how amazing that usually in tales of hysteria, women are at the center, but not for the right reasons. But God shows us right here that every sex has the opportunity to be either one of those things. And God is looking for qualities that delight the father. Do you know that Abigail's name actually means delight of the father? This woman personifies characteristics that delight the Father in times of great evil and great emotion. And I really believe that God is looking for women and men like this in this hour. I want to just go through a few points from her story and really believe that God will speak to you as I share the truths and the principles from what this incredible woman did. The first thought I want to bring is this. Move quickly to right a wrong. The Bible says that Abigail moved quickly. Do you know what happens when you linger over an apology, when you linger or wait in times where there has been great dishonor? The devil gets in. The devil gets in. And you know who suffers? The innocents. It wasn't just Nabal who was going to lose his life. It was every male in his household. And isn't that true? When we linger over an apology, when we linger over writing a wrong, it's not just us that suffer, it's not just your relationship, but the relationships of people around you. What I love about Abigail was that she was focused on writing the wrong. Right. In times of offense and conflict and dishonor, there are two types of people. Those who are focused on who's wrong. Who's the wrongest in this situation? I'm only 10% wrong, therefore, the person who's 90% wrong needs to apologize to me. Well, have fun with your lonely life. What I love about Abigail is she's like, you know what, we can work out the details later. I'm not focused on who's the most wrong. And she was the only innocent party in this story, by the way. She was focused on making it right. Can I encourage you, this relationship series, on the eve of Valentine's, you could have the best Valentine's Day of your life. Maybe some of you need to start with an I'm sorry. Instead of trying to sort through the damage of who was the most wrong, maybe you could figure out, how do I make it right? What's your end game? Yeah. Do you want resolution? Or do you want to hold up a laundry list of who's at most fault? You'll never win that way. You know, there is carnage, innocence, the life of innocence, a loss when we won't lower our pride and actually do the work of making something right. In this story, innocence, we're about to suffer, true for Nabal's family, true for ours. Who is it who suffers when a husband and wife fight, blame, and nitpick? Who is it who suffers? The kids. They're the innocent damage that grow up then with dysfunction, dysfunction modeled before them that they then project into their own relationships. Do you realize this hurts more than you? It hurts the children that God has entrusted you with. When husbands and wives fight and there is no reconciliation, it, it affects the household. It was about to affect Nabal's household. Do you know how many families have been torn apart because people cannot apologize? They would rather fixate on who was wrong rather than making it right. What about in our church relationships? When church members fight and no one goes first to reconcile, it affects the household of God. Innocents suffer. They get disillusioned. They get discouraged. They get disappointed. And they're like, you know what? I left my dysfunctional family to just join this family that's just as dysfunctional. Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 5, starting in verse 23, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you... And can I just say to you here today, somebody will need to go first. The strongest, biggest, and most often the rightest person will go first. (laughs) Leave your gift there in front of the altar. This is astounding to me. What is this telling me? That God cares more about reconciliation than he does your gifting. You can be as gifted as as sure as the day is long. You can sing like the heavenly choir. You can preach like... Billy Graham reborn, you can prophesy the pain off a wall, but if you can't say sorry, if your heart is full of pride, you will ruin more lives than you help. And then he says, Jesus says, First go and be reconciled to them, and then come offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, while there's still a chance of reconciliation. For the love of all that is holy, drop your pride and do what needs to be done to make it right. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. What is Jesus saying? If you don't deal with offence, dishonor and disunity quickly, It will escalate and you may end up paying more than you ever thought you would pay. Jesus is making the inference that when we don't move quickly to right or wrong, it will cost us. What does it cost us? Friendships, relationships, money, time, peace, and most importantly, your reputation. What does the Bible tell us in Proverbs 21? A good name is to be chosen. A good name is not a guarantee. A good name is something we choose by exemplifying the characteristics of this woman, Abigail. I'm not focusing on who's wrong. I'm focusing on how we make it right. A good name is to be chosen above great riches. And sadly, Nabal lost both because of his pride. Move quickly to right or wrong. And now take a deep breath. (laughs) the second thought I want to bring from this is bring out the best in people, not the worst. Now I love, I love Abigail because she was so crafty in the most divine and holy ways. And what we were dealing here with David was a good man. He was a good man. He was just caught in a very vulnerable emotional time in his life even giant slayers have bad days even giant slayers have vulnerable moments and what abigail doesn't do is stir him up she doesn't wind him up so i mean you were ready to start with david you're going to be ruddier after i speak to you like she she calms him down she brings out the best in him. She calls to the, the, the man of virtue that she knows is on the inside. She brings out the best in him. I want to bring some sub points on how to do this when we find ourselves in issues where great evil has been committed and great emotion is about to collide with it. Abigail used her influence to stop good people from doing bad things. We should do the same. In Hebrews 10, 24, it says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up, or some versions say provoke, stir up or provoke love and good works. You know what I found? Most of us, if we want to be, can be really good stirrers and provokers. Imagine if we used those qualities for good and not evil. So when you find yourself as an Abigail in the evil and the emotional day, here's some points that I want you to consider. Number one, don't downplay the offence. Sometimes people are tempted to avenge themselves because they are made to feel that what happened to them doesn't matter. I love Abigail because she didn't downplay it. She didn't come and go, oh, David, you big baby. What are you doing? I mean, this is the very definition of overkill. Calm down. Wow. Like, you know, in the history of calming down, nobody has ever calmed down by being told to calm down. <laughs> Instead, she, she affirms, like, your anger is justified. Right. But just like the Bible tells us, be angry, but, but sin not. And she says to him, please, pay no attention my Lord David, to the wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. Now, this isn't a model, necessarily, of how you should talk about your husband. But I'm not, I'm not here to judge, I'm just here to tell the story. But the principle is she didn't, she didn't, she wasn't condescending. She wasn't like, you're just being pathetic. She's like, this was an egregious offence. And I'm not going to tell you it wasn't. So just so you understand, the offense that was leveled at David was a huge insult in those times. This was like walking to into Roos Chris and ordering everything on the menu along with several helpings of that sweet potato awesomeness and several bottles of wine and having the waiter turn himself inside out for you making sure you have the best night and then at the end of the day leaving with zero tip and when he comes and asks you hey bro what's going on you you berate him and rail him because he should have a better job this is this is this was an intense egregious crime right here she didn't downplay it but thank god she didn't overplay it. In matters of great offense, when you're trying to bring resolution, don't downplay it, but also remind them of who they truly are. The second thought is this, implant a positive thought. We are influencers, especially the girls in the room. I mean, remember Eve in Genesis? She was an influencer. She walked up to Adam naked with an apple. He couldn't wait to gobble that thing down. (laughs) So, so we've got a decision to make. Are we going to use our strengths, both male and female, use our strengths to build, to bring out the best, to influence people to good, to, to stir one another up to good works, or the opposite? The choice is ours. I love the story in Proverbs 31 about the Proverbs 31 woman. The Bible tells us that strength and honor are her clothing. We've seen a lot of models of strength in this last season, but we need to not just wear strength by itself. We need to wield our strength in an honourable way. When we just don't, when we just wear strength, it's like we're only wearing half of the garments that God designed for us. And if you don't wear your strength with honour, undoubtedly it's your butt that's showing. Don't wear half of the garments that God designed for you we everything that God designed for you. we your strength in an honourable way. So she, she implants this thought in his head. And, and she's so brilliant how she does it. She comes to him in 1 Samuel 25, 26, and she says this, And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands. I mean, this is Brilliant. Because he's literally on the way to kill an entire household of men and Nabal with his sword drawn. And she's telling him, you're not going to do that. (laughs) You're not going to avenge yourself. It's like when you, listen, we get so much further when we make positive, uplifting suggestions versus nagging. I mean, we've seen it with our husband. You can either say, for the love of all that is holy, take out the trash. Or you can go, I wish there was a big, strong, sexy man somewhere that could help me with this trash. Then all of a sudden, your husband's like, ding, here. I come to save the day. Do you see, do you see what I'm telling you today? She's genius. The the third sub-point I want to bring is ask people what kind of legacy they want. David, how do you want to be remembered? Do you want to be remembered as the giant slayer or the guy who lost his legacy over an insult? The irony again, and this is where she's drawing out the best in him and not the worst, was just a couple of weeks earlier, he was in a cave with a guy... Wanting to kill him. King Saul is trying to take his life. He's in a cave and he has the presence of mind and he's hearing from God and he has a sense of emotional stability where he realizes it's wrong for me to lift up my hand towards the Lord's anointed. A couple of months later, a couple of weeks later, all the conditions are imperfect. He's got emotion churning up on the inside of him. And now he's getting ready to kill a whole household over a much lesser incident. Even giant slayers need an Abigail. And she, she asked him the question, how do you want to be remembered? The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. Because you fight the Lord's battles. There's that thought implementation again. And no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Do you want to be remembered as the guy who lost it all over an insult, David? Your story is being written right now. How do you want it to be told? It's a good question to ask people. At the beginning of every year, I think it's important as... The spirit of the world is like, you need to figure out who you are and discover who you are. You know what? Maybe instead of that, instead of doing multiple personality tests to figure out who we are and you know, searching the Enneagram to give yourself an excuse as to why you're a jerk. I'm a jerk because I'm an eight. No, you're a jerk because you're, you're giving over to the most base version of the, so the imperfections on the inside of you. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of asking who you are, ask yourself, who do I, who do I want to become? Yeah. Yeah. Who, who do I want to be? What do I want history to write about Leanne Mattesius? I want them to say that she was fun, that she was compassionate, that she was life-giving, that, that she loved God, that she cared about people, that, that she was wise. She, she was courageous when she needed to be. She was a good friend. She was a great mom. She really, really loved dogs. I, like history is going to write about you, not what your most base desires and what a personality set, test tells you you should be, but what you decide for yourself in the everyday choices like these. How do you want to be remembered? And then finally, remind people of who they really are. In 1 Samuel 25, 29, it says this, Abigail speaking. Even though, David, someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. Now listen to this next part. This is going to blow your mind. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. And then immediately David is transported back to 1 Samuel 17 where he's a young shepherd boy and he's standing at the edge of a battlefield about to face off against Goliath, the champion of Gath. And just before he walks onto onto the field, his brothers his closest around him, yell out, with whom have you left those few sheep? I know the insolence of your heart. You've just come down to see the battle. When he was a young man, full of the fire of God, he was able to put aside an insult, not even regard it, and step on and folk onto the battlefield and focus on the battle that mattered, fully trusting in God, fighting with the Lord's armour, not the armour of man. And immediately, through Abigail's incredible wisdom, her courage and her insight, she's able to remind him of who he was, He was not a man who was going to lose his legacy over a spat with a fool. He was a giant slayer, destined for the throne of Israel. And immediately his emotional tension drops and he looks at her. Amazing. Nobody was listening to women in those days. But thank God, David did. His emotional tension drops. He looks at her and he says, God sent you to me. Now go in peace. Abigail saved an entire household of men from a great slaughter that way, not with muscle, not with brawn, but with wisdom, discretion, discernment, patience, and by being the first one to apologize quickly. Can somebody give Abigail an applause that she can hear in heaven? Now I want to flip it and I want to ask you a question. Could Abigail speak to you? Abigail is dead and buried and enjoying her reward in heaven, but the characteristics that she carried are available to all of us. But I want to ask you this question. Could she speak to you? If you were in a position where your emotions are high and you're getting ready to do something foolish, could Abigail speak sense into you? No, Nabal was a fool. I'll tell you, he, he was a fool. I don't know whether his mother named him fool or his name became synonymous with fool because of this story. But fool by name, folly by nature. The reason he was a fool was he, because he didn't or wouldn't listen. He wouldn't listen. How do you know if you're a fool? You won't listen to the godly people that are closest to you. Wow. How do we know that David, even though he was emotional, was a wise man? He listened. When wisdom came to him, he didn't reject it. (laughs) Who do you think you are? God sent you to me. Can you see people with the spirit of Abigail that God has positioned around each and every, oh, I don't have any Abigails in my, no, you're not looking for them or you're ignoring them because they're there. God is consistently trying to get wisdom into our stupid, constantly. That's why he says, you're not to forsake the gathering together of the saints. Why? Because when I want to do something stupid, when I'm offended and I got my sword and I want to lop off, chop off heads, the collective wisdom in this room from the Abigail stops me from doing something I will most surely regret tomorrow. It's one thing to be an Abigail, and we all need them, but it's quite another to allow someone to be Abigail to you. We don't just need to be her. We need to have her in our world. I remember a time in 2020, and 2020 was a particularly emotive... 2020, 2021, 2022. Pastor Jürgen says this. He says, 2020, 2021, and 2022... Kind of like Vegas, what happened in those years needs to stay in those years. (laughs) They were like extra grace required when everybody went a little bit crazy, right? Um, But I remember in that particular season where Pastor Jurgen and I went through a particularly painful season where we were having to grapple with the loss of a very deep relationship that we cared about. And within those times, there was a lot of insult. There was a lot of offense. There was a lot of stuff flying around. I remember picking up the phone and calling Pastor Becky. And I said, you'll never guess what happened. (laughs) Gave her all the details. Was watching the sheep. And I came with my hand out. My hand was slapped. Therefore, I'm going to get my sword. I'm going to go to the house. I'm going to kill Nabal and all these male servants. (laughs) And on the other end of the line, I just hear, oh Leanne, I'm so sorry. That must have been so hard. But you don't need to do that. Don't do that. That's not who you are. This is gonna blow over. Everything's gonna be okay. God's gonna bring you through. Just be patient. And immediately I felt my emotional tension drop. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. Thank God for Abigail dressed as Becky Lynn Heinrichs who stopped me lifting my hand to sin. A, I definitely would have regretted it the next day. Can Abigail speak to you? David's legacy looked very different in 1 Samuel chapter number 25 because he allowed Abigail to speak into him. Can you see the Abigails as God sends? Too many of us See, whom God sends to preserve us as persecutors. Don't mislabel an Abigail as a persecutor when they're actually sent as a life preserver. Don't mislabel someone whom God has sent to help you as someone whom God has sent to hurt you. Learn to discern the difference We need the body of Christ. We need pastors. We need cherished women. We need emerged men. We need men and women of God who have gone before, who have been around a little bit longer to help us when we are tempted to let our anger move us to sin. What do we need in the evil and emotional day when evil and emotion collide? We need people with the spirit of Abigail. We need people who can be Abigail's and people who will listen to Abigail's. Somebody say amen. 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 Amen, and I will drink to that. (laughs) Amen, Leanne. And then finally, when you have done all you're supposed to do, leave it in God's hands. And this is where it's gonna have to be a trust test. So, Nabal's heart is like a stone okay? I could make a lot of jokes here, but I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Like a stone. And then for 10 days, his life hangs in the balance. And that number 10 is not lost on me, because 10 in the Bible is test. And it was a test of Nabal, and it was also a test of Abigail and David. So... The test for Nabel was, was God coming in. He was, he was like a stone. I believe in those 10 days, God was searching his heart. Is there any redemption? Is there any repentance? See, it's one thing to judge evil behavior, but only God is allowed to judge a heart. We are called to judge behavior and call it either wicked or good, light or dark, but only God can judge the intrinsic value of a human heart or understand the human heart. So if Abigail had tried to interfere while God was doing his God test, she would have only succeeded in hurting herself. This was something, this was territory that only God could occupy. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. Vengeance is not a room that we are allowed to occupy. God was doing a heart test on Nabal. 10 days later, the Bible says that the Lord struck him and he died. So we'll just make assumptions as to what he did or didn't find. However, this was also a test for Abigail. Can you trust God when it may look like the wicked are getting away with their wicked schemes? Can you trust God when that injustice that you have suffered is not yet resolved or reconciled? Can you trust God in the wait? The Bible tells us, in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2, 19. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Now, if it ended there, it would seem cruel. But let me tell you why. Because they are conscious of God. God sees, God is involved. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord watch over the wicked and the good. Romans tells us that he will repay each one according to their deeds. You can get your hands out of it because God's got his hands in it. You can take your eyes off it and trust the Lord because God's got his eye on it. It is not lost on me that in Psalm 37, at the end of David's life, David pens this Psalm and it's spoken from a man who has such a vast understanding that he is indeed the God who fights our battles for us. We don't need to lift our hands to sin. God is engaged in every detail. And David writes in Psalm 37, 7 to 9, "'Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. "'Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, "'when they carry out their wicked schemes. "'Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. "'Do not fret, it only leads to evil. "'For those who are evil will be destroyed, "'but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land.'" You can't lose when you don't lose your God consciousness. It's, it's enough now of Christians behaving like atheists in matters of offense and injustice where we think there's no God in the room, let alone any God in the world. We've got to trust him with those seasons of injustice, that 10 test in the time where it's like, God, are you doing anything here? I'm still married to this man. Now, this is not permission to go home and divorce your husband, by the way. I just need to put a caveat on that just in case someone... Yeah, just in case someone goes home and goes, I'm leaving because Pastor Leanne told me to leave. No, and that's... It's an analogy. (laughs) Trust God in the wait where it feels like evil or injustice is not going to be punished. They're not going to get their just desserts. Let God do his test. Let God do what only God can do. Don't try to handle vengeance. You can't touch that stuff. It'll burn your hands, right? You know what? Vengeance is put in like an iron steel barrel with a skull and crossbones on the front. You can't touch it. Only God is qualified to touch that. Don't let the seasons of injustice where you feel like the wicked are not getting their just desserts have you walk into the throne room and go, step aside, Lord. I'm going to put my butt on it. Where's the lightning bolts? Don't do that. You will burn your bottom. Don't do it. God is engaged. And just in the story of the evil and the emotional and the Abigail, we saw God engaged. And David and Abigail were able to see the end of an oppressive evil. He didn't need to become a murderer. She didn't need to become a manipulator. They just trusted God with what only God could do. Somebody say, Amen. 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 Thus ends the lesson, brethren. So I, you know, the word of God is a mirror. It is the perfect mirror for our times. You know, as I guess as important as it is to read the news and stay up to date on what's happening in the world, God's word is more relevant than today's newspaper. It it. It just, it's the best psychologist. It's the best reminder. It's the best way to see where, where we're operating, maybe in wisdom or also in folly. God, teach me. Be like David. Oh God, search me. Know me. Test my every anxious thought and see that there be no wicked way within me. If we did more of that, my gosh, the world would already be a much better, brighter place in this hour of great evil and great emotion. God is looking for women and men who carry the characteristics of an Abigail. Patient, discerning, wise, stirring up the best in people and not the worst. Courageous, forthright, honourable. Stand to your feet. Father, I thank you for this magnificent church. What a joy it is to, to be able to preach your word. Your word brings life and light in every heart that is received. And I would say to you today, do not reject the word of the Lord. Let it find you. Let it cast out every shadow. Let it deal with every sin. Let it convict and every and challenge every place that it needs to find in your heart. Don't be prideful like Nabal. Be wise like David. Listen when the Lord speaks. The Bible says, those who have ears to hear, Let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Father, we thank you that in these coming days, we would carry the spirit and characteristics of this magnificent woman. We would be reconcilers. You have called us to the ministry of reconciliation. So when evil and emotion collide, Father, we can call out the best in people and not the worst in Jesus' name.